Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Lord, thank you for your goodness in this house. Thank you for Spring of Life Fellowship. Thank you for our children that are growing up in a house, Lord, where excellence is our aim, where wisdom is our passion, where truth, oh, Father God, is a a pursuit, Lord, that we desire. So we pray that you would bless the word, let it prosper in our hearts, that we might welcome it, Lord, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet, that it would be... Uh, a good seed planted in good hearts that would give forth good fruit, Lord. I pray that you be glorified and magnified, Lord, as your word makes us wise, as it tears down the barriers of religiosity, O Lord, the things that do not make for life. But, Father God, we pray that you would prosper your word in our hearts, that we sin not against you. And we pray that we would aim for the prize of the Uh, of the the high call in Christ Jesus, Lord. Thank you for our families. Thank you for our marriages. Thank you for our children. Father, we pray that you would prosper us according to your abundance, Lord, that we might be a blessing to all the families of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Last week was an intense time in the house of God. Um, We talked about martyrdom. That means dying for our faith and Uh, Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to die. The calling to this cross is a calling to die to yourself. And a lot of people get upset because they want to live. And so there's a paradox there. Jesus says, unless you die, you'll never live. Unless you die to selfishness, it's going to be very difficult for you to ever uh, get on task to other responsibilities. The most miserable people in the world are selfish people. That's why Jesus gave us a cross. Once you get self out of the way, then you're ready and prepared to put other people and their issues ahead of your own. And so that's, that's, the, that's the attainment of dying on the cross. But I, I want to press in a little bit further because I believe after a certain amount of time, we perfect our religiosity. And we become religious experts. And so these religious experts are the people that have all heard all the sermons. They know all the teaching. They could teach the sermons. They're theologians. They have their degrees in divinity. And they're, uh, they're, they're graduated from these uh, high spiritual practice. Um, somebody who has uh, perfected the traditions of ceremony and ritual. Luke chapter 8, verse 9 is one of these guys, and Jesus was speaking about them. Jesus highlighted, chapter 18, verse 9, and Jesus highlighted this one gentleman, and he spoke a parable to some who had so much confidence in themselves. I I want to say this, and and you could put a parenthesis around those who were totally confident in themselves. Um, These guys are the religious experts that no longer need God. They have it all together. That they were righteous and began to treat others uh, with despise. And who are these 
individuals that are experts and have perfected their religious devotion. Verse 10, two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the religious expert, and the other a tax collector. One who wasn't an expert was more an expert outside of the religious affairs. And both found themselves in the house of God like you this morning. Verse 11 says, the Pharisee stood up and he prayed, listening to his thoughts. God and, and so you be eloquent with all the flattery you want to give yourself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men who surround me. Who are these other men? Those men that are extortioners, they take advantage of people. Those people that are unfair. Those people who cheat on their wives. And even as this, and he looks at, the unexpert, and, and I just want to say that if there's anything Jesus ever did, he picked those that were not experts. The 12 guys that Jesus picked to be on his team had no religious expertise. They, they didn't know. They were fishermen, a lot of them. Uh, one of them was a tax collector. And, and so he picked the guys that were not experts, and that was an attraction to me when I became a Christian also, that Jesus, he's not, he's not measuring me according to my frailties and weaknesses. In fact, the Bible calls, he chose the despised things of this world, the things that are not, to shame those that think they are. So here, the contrast between those two men, the Pharisee stood up with all his, I call him a peacock, right? He's just flaunting all his feathers and saying, look, I'm, I'm the embodiment of beauty and grace, and I, I'm hitting the target, and I, you know something? Um, and, and he even makes a gesture to the guy who's next to him and, and saying that he's not like them. Verse 12, he begins to say how he comes to this conclusion. I fast twice a week. I'm faithful with my tithes and all my possessions. He's, he's putting his resume out there, you know. He, he's, he's, listen to me. It's going to be a fearful thing for people to raise up their banner of self-righteousness. They, they, you know, they have it all together. It's, it's all there. Um, they sit in judgment. They sit in a manner where they begin to say... And they're, they're, they're establishing their course. Uh, verse 13, the tax collector, a totally different approach. The guy who did not have religious expertise, religious devotion, he wouldn't even come near the presence of, of the altar. He wouldn't come near the, you know, the front of the temple. Um, he wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, which, which speaks about the other gentleman is part apart. Like, God, I'm the embodiment of, of everything that, and this guy would not raise his eyes to heaven. But he just beat his chest saying, God, all, all I want from you is mercy. 
I, I need you to be merciful towards me because I'm just a sinner. I, I have not even broken through the threshold of being able to live at the standard of your righteousness. And, and so he was there asking God. Now Jesus says these words in verse 14. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, went back to his house at peace rather than the Pharisee. Pharisee was stuck on himself. It was his, his measure. Um, for everyone who lifts himself up is going to have an awful experience. And he who humbles himself, God will propel. God will. So, so this morning, I, I want, uh, and, and by manner of what we're going to do next is, I would like to destroy our religious expertise in these matters. We know the Bible. We've been serving the Lord a long time. We're recognized. We, we have accomplished feats in the Lord. But as I see Jesus coming on the scene, it seems like the Jewish people needed a earthquake. So all their religious expertise and, and disposition would fall to be grounded on reality. And so there is where it says in Matthew 5, verse 20, if you cannot rise above the righteousness, it says, Jesus said these words, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The bottom line is that being aware of certain matters does not give you the disposition of entitlement. I'm, I, I'm, I'm clear. I'm free and clear. I have no issues. Because the truth of the matter is, there's not a day that goes by that I don't compare myself to Jesus Christ and I'm feeling mighty low. So if I was to compare myself with other people, I might have a posture of saying, I'm doing super good. And I'll be filled with me. Because I've done this, and I've go here, and I've done that, and I live like this, and I... No. When I compare myself to Jesus, there's not a day that goes by that I don't feel like this tax collector. Lord, have mercy on me. My wife will hear me all day long asking God for mercy. Because my comparison is with the Lord. He, my call is to be like Jesus. And, and I, I don't settle in a self-righteous standard. So he says, unless your righteousness rises above the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees, what is their righteousness? It's self-righteousness. I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm a good husband. I'm a good wife. I'm a good mom. I'm a good dad. I'm, I, I'm a decent worker. Every... No, my friend. Woe is me. For when I compare myself to where God is calling me, I'm wretched and miserable. I'm lacking severely. And so that is what Jesus is talking about. And that's why he brings these, you know, I've, I've never had the wherewithal to attempt to explain Matthew chapter 5. These are called the Beatitudes. 
This is, should be the attitude of every believer that will lead him to a honest... The word I have here is satisfied life. My, my life is not, is not based on a comparison to others. Is Lord, am I living like you want me to live? And so now we, we're confronted with this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus finally has the opportunity to sit before a large multitude of people. Seeing the multitude, these are, these are, these are all those that were in the vicinity of his ministry, he decides he's going to walk up a mountain. Um... This Sermon on the Mount is in uh, north of the Sea of Galilee. We were there in 2007. It was the most spectacular scenery. Uh, it's all grass, and, and it's, he goes all the way to the top, and, and the multitude is on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And he says that when he was seated, uh, his disciples came to him, and now he's about to unleash He's, he's going to tell these people everything that is your expression of religious devotion falls short of what you need to come into my kingdom. Verse 2 says, he opened his mouth and began to speak. How many thank God that Jesus, Jesus opens his mouth and is speaking? If, if you take these as my words, you cheapen the effect. So who's talking to you now? Jesus. And he's going to start telling us what he was trying to tell the religious followers of his day who thought they had it all figured out. They, they thought everything was covered. And he starts out with the most incredible statement of all in verse 3 when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, this strikes totally against our human nature because nobody wants to be known by their lack and by their need. No one wants to add up life based on what they're missing. But the secret to a truly successful spiritual health is not what you don't need, but what you need. I'm glad that uh, I'm not like other people that are dragging, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're struggling in their marriage, they're struggling with their children, they're struggling with their, uh, we were talking about mental illness, some people struggle with their thought life, some people struggle with uh, immorality, some people are stricken with a continual falling. Uh, I was telling somebody that, that this is like a boxing ring where you go out and they keep on knocking you to the canvas and it doesn't seem like you could get two steps into it. Um, the expression, I don't know if you've ever been to a roller rink or an ice skating rink where you can't stay on your feet. It's super important that you would be filled with the poverty, not of material things, 
but of spiritual things. Because if you're in need of spiritual things, you're going to pursue that as a matter of course. Uh, the man over there in, in Revelation says, I have need of nothing. I'm doing super good. And I was like, man, you, you got some humility there, maybe? Maybe you need some humility. I have need of nothing. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the expression of excellence. No. Um, Jesus starts out by saying this word blessed, and, and why, usually it's more intense to be cursed. I, I think that when we're cursed, we have more a drive to get out of that state. That, that's actually the word in the Bible that, that hit my heart. I was 16 years old, and I'm going through the Bible. I'm like, I'm trying to figure this out, and I get to a chapter here, and it says, curses for disobedience. That was, to me, a punch in the nose. In Deuteronomy 28, 15, no, no, let's go to 16. Deuteronomy 28, 16, it says, Deuteronomy 28, 16. Cursed. When I read the word cursed in the Bible, I got offended. Because I considered this a holy book. And why would, there, why would anybody put a bad word or something that has a bad connotation in a good book? And I began to read, curse shall be in the city, curse shall be in country. And I was offended. And that was the chapter, the curses for disobedience that changed my life. Jesus over in the Beatitudes is talking about blessed when you're poor in spirit. And then he says why you're blessed. He says because that's the reason the kingdom of God came. Matthew 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs... What belongs to them is the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God but the provision for all things? Uh, you know, over the years, as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, people want me to give them all that they lack. And so when they don't get what they lack, you know who they get mad at? They get mad at me. I'm like, woo. There's a big heaven up there, and it has everything God has for you, not me. Don't make me the source of your happiness or unhappiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of God is available to you. Amen. What for? So you lack nothing. So if you enumerate the things that you lack, lack of contentment, lack of satisfaction, lack of being joyful, your problem is you're not connected to upstairs. Not that you're messing with me. I'm not your problem. I'm not your hindrance. I'm not your restriction. Heavens are open or closed towards you depending if you're poor in spirit or you're a staunch, arrogant, proud person. You're not going to have anything because you're already satisfied. The first five years of my Christian life, you see this altar up here? 
I spent weeping and crying to God for five years without saying, I have enough. The first five years of my Christian life, the only thing I prayed for is, God, I'm so stupid. I'm so foolish. I need wisdom. What's wisdom? I want to think like God. And when you think like God, you begin to have an expression of wealth. I told the men in South Africa, I said, you guys are a bunch of stingy people. You need to be generous. And they're like, they're like angry. I said, listen, I'm not asking for money. Give me a smile. Just give me a little smile. Quit being so stingy. Some of us can't even smile. We're so deprived of joy, of peace, of righteousness. And so here Jesus is challenging us on the forthright. All our religious banners, all our... Uh, hey, listen, you lost your poverty and spirit. That's why you're so poor. You're not hungry for the things of God. That's why heavens are not open towards you. And so when he says this, it's actually an invitation. It's a, is anybody home? Come and open the door. I'll come in. Go away. We're upset. We don't want anything that you have for us. We're throwing a tantrum. You are raining on our parade. We got a super powerful pity party going on here. And you want to say that you want to bring balloons and you want to bring provision. But no, we're holding on. And, and so you'll see that happen a lot. Some people this morning admitted they're holding on to grudges. But God wants to give you enough riches so you can release that person that owes you a debt. And so that, that was just a, the beginning of him breaking down the religious structure of his day. I, I, I never want to get to a place where some people say like this. I'm not going back to church because I don't receive anything when I go there. How many have heard that? A ton of people say that. I don't receive anymore. Oh, you're just so fanciful. You're, you're a wealthy man. You have no room for God to give you anything else. And so this is what the Lord is talking about. We become so, and you'll see it. You'll, you'll see that the kingdom of God is for prostitutes, for drug addicts, for the poor, for the needy, for those that are not. But you are, you're, you're pretty cool. Everything's taken care of. You, you don't find a need to be at the altar of the Lord asking for the provisions that the heavens can open towards you. Verse 4, he comes in and he says, blessed are those who mourn. Listen, just the first two of the Beatitudes wipes us all out. Because now he's not only talking that we're needy and he wants to supply, but blessed are you who mourn. And this mourning, um, this, this word mourn, I was talking to, I don't know if you've been watching the World Club, with the loss of Brazil, of Argentina, of Uruguay, it seems like every team that lost, I was mourning. I was going through a funeral. I was like, man, now this team lost and, and then lost. And yesterday I was mourning for Russia. Man, they, they, it was in Russia. Why did the Russians lose? And so we, we mourn loss. And I, I want to tell you, 
that a perpetual sense of being sad is character of a healthy Christian. Why, pastor? I thought we were supposed to be happy. No, we're supposed to be sad that we're still struggling with not being able to please God. It doesn't matter how advanced you get in ministry. It doesn't matter how, how successful you are. I don't know. There's people out there that still don't know Jesus. And, and the Bible says that one sinner that repents is cause for great celebration in heaven. But I think that the, the, the attitude of mourning is an everyday sentiment. Lord, I'm not where you want me to be. I continue to say the wrong words at the wrong time to the wrong people. Uh, I, I'm not there yet, Lord. And that causes sadness in my heart. Uh, so from time to time, I'll get phone calls. I'll get letters. I'll get texts on my phone. And I'm like, man, if it was up to me, if I were to act in an ungodly manner, the Bible says if you thought it, you already did it. So my righteousness is not where I want it to be after 35 years in Christ. I'm not living in, at that level, and that causes sadness. But that very sadness is the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to comfort me and to minister to me and to be able to heal me in the state of mourning. So these first two is, is a mirror that religious people get to look in. Religious people get to look in. Now, you're looking through the eyes of somebody else, and you're like, thank God, I'm not like so-and-so. That tax collector, he's a piece of garbage, but not me. Listen, if I were you, I'd flop it because he goes home at peace with God, and you will never find peace. You will never reach that level of expression. And so here we are, the spiritual experts of our day, the Christians, those who are called to be the light of the world, must be people that have a, a poverty in spirit. Now, we know that this does not mean poverty in material things. We always say that there's no problem with having things as long as the things don't have you. That your priority is God, not things. Blessed are those who mourn. They can find a doctor. But the opposite of mourning is you're arrogant. You don't need to be comforted. You comfort yourself. You, 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 you're you're self-medicated. It's a problem. He's going to go into deeper aspects of spiritual devotion in verse 5. He said, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. The contrast is they will receive. They will they will be ministered to. But then he says like this in verse 5, blessed are the meek. I, I, I just have a question for you. What is meek? Living below your, the standard of your potential. When, when you have a horse that is meek, it means that in all of its strength and power, it's not expressing and manifesting its strength. Those that live within their means. That's, that's what Craig Hill told me. I was in Peru. I said, Craig, I don't understand the words meek. 
A guy that makes $1,000 and spends $900. Because the guy who makes $1,000 and spends $2,000, he's an arrogant fellow. And instead of inheriting the earth, that means being given more, he doesn't get anything. That which he has is taken away. So the definition for meekness is one who lives below his means. What's that mean? Just because you are strong doesn't mean you walk over exceeding your strength. People say, I don't need to go to church because I'm doing pretty good. My friend, you're not being meek. You're not being meek. Meek is when you're doing good, you continue to come because you're going to walk within and underneath your means. You're not going to overexpend yourself. They shall inherit the earth. Lord, make us meek. Make, make us have an expression that we're not living. Uh, we were saying that this week with the men. I can go out and buy a car for $50,000. I decide to go buy a $20,000 car and give cars away. Well, who thinks like that in this world? What, what wealthy man who, who obtains larger measure of provision and sits there and say, wait a second, I'm going to go and make provision for the one who does not have. Those are the people God could endow with greater provision because they're not overextending themselves. Oh, I got a promotion. Now I'm making $5,000 more. Well, does that mean you're going to start giving stuff away? No. No, I'm not going to start giving stuff away because what will make me happy is a little more. There's never a limit. So I told man, uh, how much do you want to make? He says, I think if I make $300,000, I'll be doing good. Okay, so does that mean when you make half a million, you're going to give $200,000 away? What's the answer? No way, my friend. That's when the stuff is good, and I'm going to spend more. I'm going to spend a lot more. So Jesus is coming against the nature of man and hitting the crucial points. Who likes to be poverty? Spirit, nobody. Who wants to be walking in mourning? Nobody. Who wants to express meekness? Nobody. And yet he says, these are the people that have the caliber of the kingdom. I don't know how to express these things. It's probably taken me 35 years before I get to talk about the Beatitudes. Somebody says it's the attitude you need to go to heaven. You're thinking about others, and we're going to see this now in verse 6. That you care more about righteousness then you do self-righteousness. You care more about how God thinks and now how you think. Blessed are those that are hungry, that want greater measure of meals and thirst for righteousness. Because if you're seeking these things, you're going to be satisfied. There's going to be provision for you who are seeking to be satisfied according to God's measure. Uh, I, that's, that's one of the, the biggest blessings I have as I sit with men all over the world. I know that if they start thinking like God wants them to think, they're going to have what God wants them to have. That, that to me is huge. When a man starts thinking like God wants him to think, he's going to live 
at the measure that God wants him to live. As long as he has a puny little mind all about self, he will drown in his woes. Now, we, we have all these celebrities who've done it. Uh, you, just, you just pick any one of the ones who have gone to do it their way, like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Well, what a horrible way. What a horrible way to live. And so we have the expressions of the men who tried to fill things with the things of this world. But those who hunger and thirst for the things of God, God will grant them a large measure in that economy. Verse 7. Blessed are those who love others. That, that's another. Man, we're, we're, we're like... We're, we're not doing good. So far, not doing good. We're thinking on the opposite side of these things. Instead of being poor, we want to be rich. Instead of mourning, we want to laugh. Instead of wanting to think like God and live like God, we're, we have our own mindset, our own measure. And now he goes, blessed are the merciful. Uh, there's no greater, I've, I've had guys that come up to me and says, man, uh, uh, my wife, my wife. I said, Brother, you've been messing with your wife, and now she gives you a little bit of your own medicine. How's it taste? Doesn't taste too good. But when you're merciful, when you start getting, it, it was funny, Yvette and I, yesterday we had uh, a, a, an argument. We were trying to fix the, the drawers in my daughter's bathroom. So she says, look, every time I pull on it, it comes off the track. I said, because you're pulling it too strong. Pull it soft. She goes, that's not the problem. It's broken. I said, it's not broken. Pull it soft. And then I said, come on, and just tell me what you want to hear. And she says, say sorry. And I, and I said, well, I forgive you. <laughs> she goes, no, 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 I'm telling you to ask me for sorry. And I said, okay, I'm sorry. She goes, you didn't mean it. So, so these factors are, are an everyday reality, an everyday reality. And if I can show forth it, and she goes, I'm sorry too. I said, you said sorry twice now. She goes, no, the first sorry was telling you to say sorry. But as I started going the right way, she started going the right way. And we don't want it like that. We don't want that to happen. So the more... We actually get in that ballpark of mercy, then we start seeing mercy arrive. I was I was praying for mercy so long. I actually uh, one of one of my legal secretaries came and she says, uh, "I want a job with you. My name is Mercy." I said, "Man, I've been praying for you for a long time." <laughs> because I believe that if we start having, if our spiritual devotion and this is it. I'm, I'm going to explain it like this. If your spiritual devotion is putting others up at a level where they're well, then you begin to receive your own. That's what merciful is. He was merciful to us. So now when are you going to be merciful? I'm not. Because I have a religious devotion and not a spiritual devotion. I'm a religious expert, but I'm not living like God wants me to live. I don't look at other people when they're down to rise them up, to raise them up. Verse 8. 
Blessed are the pure in heart. When, when I talk about purity, it's talking about clutter. What the heck builds up in here? What, what's all that stuff that's just building up in here? And it doesn't allow us to see God in anything because there's, I got one offense. I got, this is what they did. This is what I see. This is what I know. This is what I heard. This is what they told me. This is where I went. This is what, and you can't see God because he says the pure in heart will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're going to see God. And so when you get all the clutter out, when you get all the, the, the it's called the rubbish, that's, that's left over in a ruins when there's, when there's clashes, when there's, when there's issues, when all the clutter's there, everything. Um, yesterday we were watching the David Koresh thing, and they, they bombed it, and they burned it, and they, it was a rubbles. It was full of rubble. You, you get all the garbage out, and then you get to see God's hand in your situation. Who's going to see God? The pure in heart. Who cannot see God? All the people that have all, all the mess. It's, it's, it's just piled up there, ruins for years. Who's, who's responsible for that? You are. You are because the devil's an expert to continue to throw rubbish and rubble in your direction. And so you'll never see God. You'll never see the way out in the, these matters. Verse 9 Blessed are the peacemakers. Who are these? Not the peacekeepers. It says, if they don't mess with me, I don't mess with them. But if they mess with me, woo, light them on fire. And they got themselves a fight. No, you'll be happy if you become the one who resolves issues. If you're, you're the one that unrattles the chain. If you... If you uh, the Spanish people called si enredaste la pita. That means if, if your fish line got all raveled up, you're going to be the most happy person to untangle it because it makes for a horrible existence, a horrible existence for you to continue to your fishing expedition is unsatisfied because you refuse to be a peacemaker. And so this, this peacemaking scenario is a blessedness, it's a state of blessing. For when you get to that point where you're unraveling the mess, we can call you a son of God. We can call you, you're like Jesus. He came to fix the problems, not to create greater problems. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That people would say all manner of ungodly things against you. For you're on your way to heaven. You're en route to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this seems to be an everyday reality for those who desire to seek the Lord. In chapter, in Luke chapter 6, verse 24, there's, there's a paragraph of, of some more Beatitudes. But these are the contrasts and the negative ones. Instead of saying blessed for being poor in spirit or blessed for mourning or blessed for 
being merciful, he says, Woe, cursed are you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. He says, You don't have no need from God. You're satisfied. You're content. You won't see further provision. I've always been terrified to this. In the natural, our church is healthy. Our church is a place of healing. But I'm not satisfied. Because I hear of marriages being lost every day. I hear homosexuals need fathers. They need affirmation. Men need to be healed. Men need no more religiosity, but they need life. They need these things. And the Bible says if we walk in them, your light shall be seen by all men. But if you're walking in a steadfast richness, there's nothing else to go for. Verse 25, woe to you who are full. For you shall hunger. You're going to go without. Woe to you who laugh now. For you shall mourn and weep later. You're not going to have the joy God wants you to have. You will lose. Verse 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. I'm not in that category. I'm not running a popularity contest. It's not easy to tell people what they don't want to hear. But the Bible says that those who want to be flattered by men will receive a curse. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. You you tell somebody what they want to hear, you become a false prophet, they love you to death. But then they die and perish. Because people don't want to hear what's going wrong. They want to hear how well they're doing. And our calling as fathers is to correct. As we go through these beatitudes this morning, we're challenged on every single one of them. We're challenged to stop being religious experts. We're, we're challenged to make it a greater return for our devotion. These, these things are manner for which we are to continue to meditate on these things. Meditate on, on the different aspects of Christ bringing reality to the earth and not more religion. If, if what we were expressing in our devotion was healthy, it would start healing those people around us. It would bring many far off to be close to the expression of life, of healthiness, of, of thoughts. And this is, this, this is what I say when I sit there and I see all these beatitudes. My scenario is if I think the way Jesus wants us to think, instead of me having a miserable life, an unhappy life, that word blessed means that you will be satisfied, that you will come into yours. Let's stand this morning and say, God, I don't want to be going through the motions. That's not what God called us to. In a a certain mindset, when we were religious people, we just went through the movement, and then we went on to get drunk. Drunk. We went through the motions, and then we went out to lie, to cheat, to steal, to talk evil about people. I don't want that life. 
I don't want a life that, that is spiritually devoid from being grounded in the attitudes that bring joy to the heart of God. I, I, you know, all manner of men outside that don't know God, that don't fear God, that don't want to please God, they have all sorts of descriptions for us. If you were to tell them, I learned these eight things today and I'm going to line up to the heart of God, they're going to say, you are to be pitied. You're a loser, my friend. And the Bible says if you don't lose your life, you won't see your life. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For they're going to be satisfied. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All these beatitudes have an expression. And I'll tell you what. I, I'm, I'm asking God, Lord, don't want to be a religious expert. Don't want to be too big for my britches. I, I want to see the life of God in a lowly and humbled expression. And then see the harvest. See the fruit. And I, I can tell you right now, as it's been 35 years, I don't know a happier man than myself. Peace, joy, and the presence of God. I don't know. And a lot of people are going in many directions to try and find satisfaction and expression. This, this thing of intoxicating your wife is criminal. Is criminal. No poverty in spirit, no mourning, no comfort, no mercy, no peace. Father, thank you for this day. Heal us. Heal our hearts and remove the arrogance of a peacock who flatters with the expression of her feathers, of an ostrich that tramples her children underfoot. Give us your meekness and your humility so that in our home, the legacy we live, the future that we can expect is a state of blessedness, happiness, and not no bitter existence because of self-righteousness, self-seeking, selfish ambition where all manner of evil, chaos, and confusion are present. Forgive us our attitude. Forgive us our inability to see that life is not about our priorities, our sentiments, our past. Give us a pure heart so that we might see you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, and the house of God says, amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.